This podcast is supported by HealthGenYZ, an organization that advocates for young adults in their physical, mental, social, and financial health. Is this coronavirus impacting you financially? Please share your voice with us by participating in our latest coronavirus survey. To show our appreciation for your participation, in this survey, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a $10 cash gift card. Up to 20 participants will have a chance to win a $10 cash gift card. We understand that may not be a lot to some, but during these economic hardships, a little bit can go a long way. Go to the link in the podcast episode description or go to healthgenyz.com and complete the survey. And most importantly, let your voice be heard. Please support our sponsors by taking the survey to make this show possible. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Privileged Black Kids with your host, Kendall Camp. Today, I brought on my friends, Beth and Temi, to discuss their experiences being black students at Stanford. We also discussed their thoughts on the SAT and ACT and they should abolish it. We also discussed if Beth has ever felt tokenized being a black woman in tech and tips for high school students looking to get into college. If you're listening right now, show me that you're tuned in by taking a screenshot and posting your Instagram stories that you're listening to the Privileged Black Kids Podcast. Make sure to tag our official Instagram page at Privileged Black Kids Podcast. I will put the names to those in the description. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to hear more content of Privileged Black Kids and give a rate and review if you like this podcast as well. Make sure to share this with all your family and friends and DM me on Instagram for any feedback. Again, thank you guys so much for all the support. And here's another episode of Privileged Black Kids. What's up, y'all? It's another episode of Privileged Black Kids with your host, Kendall Camp. And today I'm with two special guests, two of my homies from Stanford, Beth and Temi. Beth, first off, I mean, how have you been doing? I've been good. We just finished the first week of school, so just been getting ready with that, but it's been pretty chill. Yeah, been liking 2020 so far. Okay, gosh. Tell me, how have you been so far? I know, like, you're in Alabama right now, dealing with COVID, and then, like, of course, like, you go to school, like, on the West Coast. Like, how has that been, like, trying to, I guess, deal with, like, time zone stuff? Yeah, no, it was definitely pretty difficult at first, making the adjustment, but over time, I kind of settled, got into a rhythm. Um the biggest problem I'd say is probably time management focus, but over time, like as the quarter progresses, it gets easier and easier, I'd say. Yeah, so I've been doing fine. I feel it. Okay. So first off, I kind of wanted to like tell the guests how we actually all met because a lot of times I get people on my podcast through just kind of referrals and friends, but we actually all met for this program called Dorm Room Funds Blueprint Investor Track. It's more around kind of bringing in Black and Latinx people into venture capital. And you know, before we get into even like Stanford technology and just everything that's kind of going on in you guys' lives, I guess, first off, like, how do you guys get introduced to venture capital and dorm room fund? Beth, you can go first. Yeah, so I had no previous experience with venture capital at all, but I remember through a listserv through Stanford, I ended up seeing this program. And so I really just applied on a limb and thankfully we got in and it was an amazing experience, especially with the mentorship. Like my mentor, Chauncey, she was amazing and she definitely like made me feel really great about the program. Gosh, yeah. Okay, tell me, what about you? Yeah, the exact same thing. I saw it on a listserv um, on with Stanford emails. And for me, it was completely left field as well. I'm doing pre-med and so, but I took a class in my spring quarter of my freshman year uh, on entrepreneurship and that kind of got me interested in thinking about that space. And so that was the main reason why I um, looked to apply to it. Cause I kind of wanted, I looked, I learned a little bit about entrepreneurship. So I wanted to see the other side of the coin which was about like investing and such. Um, yeah, so that's kind of why my head was in that space. I applied, and it was a really great program. I really enjoyed it as well. My mentor, Bill Trenchard, was really helpful. Um, so, yeah, all good things yeah. I can say about Blueprint. Got you. Okay, now that's super dope. So before we kind of go into more things, I actually now have some fun questions. I want to actually kind of get to know you guys on a quick level. So I want you guys to just – I'm going to go Beth first. Okay. Actually, no, I'm going to go back and forth because then Temi, he could actually, he could, he could know like, oh, how I should answer this. So it'll be quick ones. And then we're going to go back and forth. Okay. Same so way. Beth, I guess for you, like first favorite social media app. Instagram. Love it. Love it. Temi, what about you? Favorite social media app? That's a good question. I don't, I'm not on social media too much. I have an Instagram, but I definitely say, honestly, messages. Like, it's like text 
Instagram messages. Mm. Twitter okay, is nice gotcha. too. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. Beth, what is your favorite food? Um, lasagna or Ethiopian food. Yes. Okay. Tell me, fav- favorite food, what is it? Shell of rice. I'm Nigerian, so I got to rub. Shell of rice for sure. I got you. I got you. All right, Beth, introvert or extrovert? Um, introvert. Definitely introvert. Mm. Yes. Okay. Tell me, introvert or extrovert? I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I've been getting a lot of like introverts lately. It's interesting because I see people like, I guess on social media, I see them here in like conferences and I'm like, oh, like that's interesting. The last one, Beth, time you're most proud. Oh, I think that's a good one. I would say like probably like graduations or like just big moments where I get to like have my family like see me and like all the stuff that I accomplish. So I'd probably say that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Tammy, what about you? What's the time you're most proud? Yeah, I think it was when I got into Stanford, to be honest with you. Uh, it was a lot of the build up to it was just a lot of grinding, a lot of hard work. And it was all like getting the acceptance was like the culmination of all that. So it was a really proud of when I was with my friends when I found out. So I think I'd say that, to be honest. Mm. Okay. No, I love those answers. So to be honest, your favorite podcaster is going to act like conversations are totally natural and they don't do no notes. But I'm going to be honest, I do notes. I get ready for these podcast episodes. And one of the notes that I put down, and tell me if it sounds bad, I put Stanford is known as the place for innovation and entrepreneurship for college students. It's also known as the place where CS majors and people in tech all have an extreme drive to become the next Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or would love to put on their LinkedIn page that they intern at Google and Facebook. Would you guys kind of agree with that statement or not? Oh, yeah. No, I would definitely agree with that statement. <laughs> I think um, definitely like taking a lot of CS classes at Stanford. Like I'm taking one right now too. Uh, just talking to a lot of people who also study CS. Like a lot of them do. I would say most people do actually have the drive to be very entrepreneurial, to create their own tech companies, to do a lot in the field. But obviously there will always be some people who just want to put it on their LinkedIn and just want to like look good. But I would say the majority really do have the drive to do something really great with what they're studying. Gotcha. Okay. So tell me, I guess, would you agree with that statement? Somebody kind of coming from like the healthcare sector? Yeah, no, I definitely hundred thousand percent wholeheartedly agree. I think I remember, I look back and I remember when I took CS106A, which is like the intro programming course. And I remember being in a hall, which was probably supposed to fit about like 200 students. And it was literally the auditorium was filled and there's people lining up outside the door waiting yeah. to take a CS class. So it was very CS centric. People are really hype about uh, computer science and people really do have a drive to want to like innovate. One of my friends that lived in Larkin with me, which is my freshman dorm, he literally had on his uh, on his wall billion dollar ideas that he would like be coming up with as it goes. So people, oh a lot God. of people think like with like an entrepreneurial mindset and try to like yeah, do that type of stuff. Got you. Okay. I guess so. I'm curious. And I guess, Beth, I'll let you kind of take it first. Like, why do you think so many people at Stanford major in CS or why so many kids want to go into in the technology sector? Yeah, well, I guess a lot of people at Stanford want to do CS, at least from like my point of view and why I initially like came to Stanford is for the tech scene, because I originally thought I was going to be a CS major. And so with it being in Silicon Valley, having so many tech companies nearby, I don't think there are not as many schools that provide that same opportunity. So I feel like a lot of people do decide to go into CS, do want to go straight into Silicon Valley because we kind of, I guess, would be considered a feeder and have a lot of companies recruit from us. So I would say that's probably the reason why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a fact. Temi, like, do you, do you kind of see it that way or what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think, I think the same thing. I, Came into Stanford actually as a bioengineering major, switched a couple of times, now I'm human biology. But that was my focus as well. I was thinking that I could like leverage that bioengineering, go work at some sort of like tech company, Silicon Valley, uh-huh. like known for tech. It, I think I think that's what a lot of students who come into Stanford um, think usually. Yeah. Uh, okay, now that's super dope. So let's kind of take it back a little bit to when you guys are really Go back to kind of your 16, 17 year old selves. And mind you, I know you guys are believe are only like what? You guys are both 19 from what I know. 19, mm-hmm. Yeah, since you guys are only sophomores. I'm warning for you guys in high school. Tell me, I'll let you take it first. Like, why did you end up applying to Stanford? Like, what got you to go to the school? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think 
what 17 so my college application process i applied to this um basically this this it's called newton scholars and you apply your junior year the junior summer you spend you spend that summer taking college classes learning about the college application process and preparing so that's what i was doing that summer and at first i at that point before i went to that program i had no idea where i was going to go to college i had no sense of direction whatsoever but going through that program i got a lot of help from like a lot of mentors who talked to me about the different types of colleges where i feel like i would find my best fit and so I think Stanford ended up really being my number one like choice. I applied to REA because uh, definitely California, the prospect of going to California attracted me, although it was kind of a false, false promise because it was NorCal and not SoCal. That's um, a fact. Yeah, That's the fact. process of being in like a uh, like near tech companies because I thought I was going to do bioengineering, that definitely attracted me. And when I actually did get in, once I went to admin weekend and was within the community, I got the feel of Stanford for what it was then I think all of that was really just like solidified for me. I felt like that this was the place for me. Okay. So what were the other schools? Were the other schools that you applied to other schools that you kind of considered? Yeah. So I got into the two main schools that I was debating between was Stanford and Harvard because I got into Harvard, but I visited there and um, Harvard is a great school. I just, honestly, it sounds so like, it sounds so whack to be honest with you, but I think one of the biggest reasons was just the weather and just the overall, like, could I see myself there? Yeah. Right? And I felt like if I was at Harvard, I don't think I would have been as happy as I am, or I really haven't got to experience it too much, but yeah, as I yeah. was, I continued to be at Stanford. Right? Yeah. I think that was the biggest reason. When I went to both places, I really was just like asking myself, could I see myself here? And I could more so see myself at Stanford than at Harvard. Yeah. I mean, I I guess coming, like, seeing how you made that decision, I'm not going to lie, like, being in cold Boston weather does not sound attractive, you know <laughs> what I mean? But, um, yeah. Beth, of course, like, yourself, like, you're from the Bay Area, and you kind of grew up not, I wouldn't say, because as people who, I guess, are from the Bay, like, not everybody's in the tech scene. We don't have to get in right now to all the gentrification and all, yeah. like, the tough stuff that's yeah. happening as far as, like, actually getting a house, but I'm wondering for yourself, like, how did you end up applying to Stanford and why did you pick it? Yeah, so I think, like, I first heard of Stanford in sixth grade and, like, I just would be on YouTube and then I remember I watched, like, a YouTube video and it was, like, showing the whole campus and I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. I kind of want to check that out. And then I was part of a program called AVID in um, middle school. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's supposed to be like a college preparatory. I think it sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, so in seventh or eighth grade, I remember they took us on a trip to Stanford and we got to get like a tour guide to walk us around. We got to go inside of the buildings, talk to some students and I loved it. I was like, I have to like find a way to get here. And then I like searched up the admission rate and I was like, oh. I don't I don't really know about this but I was like I'll really try my hardest to see if I can get in and so like throughout high school I had this goal in mind I want to get into Stanford if I get into Stanford I will go straight there and so I worked really hard thankfully it ended up paying off so yeah I think Stanford has just always been my number one yeah so I guess if Stanford being the number one like did you have like a two or three what were those schools like did you consider them yeah, I ended up applying to a lot of schools. I think I've told Temi this, but I applied to like 30 schools. But my between the like top three that I was choosing between it was Stanford, Harvard, and Columbia. And so mm. after like visiting Harvard and Columbia, I really liked both of them. But weather is also a part and like being close to my family was also a pretty big part. So Stanford was like a really good fit with that and having the whole tech senior vibe. Mm. Okay. No, that's so dope to hear kind of how you got to Stanford and just kind of how you made a decision saying like weather and my family is like very important and why you want to stay near home. Um, I'm wearing this for myself as somebody who is like an HBCU student and we're not going to come on this podcast and go HBCU versus PWI because I feel like a lot of that stuff's honestly bullshit. Like I don't like hearing it. It's not cool to me. Like people pick their lanes for certain reasons. I guess I'm wondering for your guys is like when you guys were at 1718, did you guys consider HBCUs? Was it a thought? Was it cost? Like, kind of, what were your thoughts? I guess, Beth, I'll let you take it first. Yeah, I ended up applying to Howard, and I really liked Howard, but the only thing that really, like, stopped me from, like, considering it as an option was the financial aid, 
And I got a really bad like financial aid package despite mm. like a lot of like financial aid needed. And so it wasn't really an option for, for me. So that was like the reason why I couldn't consider it. Mm. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Tell me, what about you? Yeah, to be honest, when I was in, when I was at Newton, which is now called Thrive Scholars, by the way, um, I had one mentor, his name was Jamon, and he would oftentimes like throw out the idea to me about HBCUs and I was interested in it. And I feel like I would have applied to an HBCU later on, but I applied to Stanford early and I got in early. And at that point, I kind of, honestly, to be honest, I was kind of lazy and just was like, ah, I don't really want to apply to any more schools. Um, but I think when he had told, what he had told me about, because he had went to an HBCU, he had went to Tuskegee, um, yeah. what he, taught me, he would tell me about his experience there. He would show me videos. And honestly, I feel like it would have been a really good option for me, for sure. But I ended up just not applying uh, to many schools, really, uh, past, like, my acceptance. Mm, okay no I mean I, the Tuskegee plug that you kind of said that's amazing because like my grandfather went to Tuskegee so like just hearing like how the connections are it's crazy I guess now for the listeners of people who maybe are in high school or even college I guess what was your prep like for the SAT ACT because obviously like there's a lot of stuff about the test if it should be removed how much does it actually say if the student will be successful or not like Beth what was your thought process about preparing for the SAT I'm not gonna lie, I was not the best at like prepping for the SAT. And so I'm probably like not the best person if they really want like a super high score to ask. But I definitely like paid a lot of attention to like Khan Academy, watched a lot of like YouTube videos. I think I had a prep book. I didn't really do it as diligently as I probably should have, but I think you don't need like the best SAT score to like get into a school as long I just wanted to get into the range that they had. And then once I was in the range, despite it being on whatever like range it was, I was like, that's good enough for me. And like the rest of my application will supplement it. But I think Temi could probably talk better about this. Yeah, Temi, what are your thoughts? Cause I know you said like you took both. So what was kind of your prep for both of these tests? Yeah, so I think for me, the way I, um... For me, for any type of standardized test, what I usually do is just take hella practice tests. I just like see as many, find as many practice tests as I can find. I will do a practice test, go over the answers, see what type of questions I was missing, then just look up YouTube videos and stuff to try and understand the concepts and work better. And that's kind of what I did for both tests for the ACT and the SAT. And that like kind of helped me, uh, helped me through. Yeah, that was honestly like pretty much my strategy for taking those tests. Um, uh-huh. Was there a lot of stress and anxiety like while you're going through the process or was you pretty even killed? Yeah, I think I didn't have too much stress like going into it. And I don't think you should. I really agree with Beth. I think for um, like for like, college applications, SAT and SAT, or SAT and ACT is a, is a portion. Like, so it matters to an extent, but what really matters like your essays, your letters of rec, um, and like in some cases like your interview i remember for like there's this thing at stanford where you could actually go through and see what admissions people said about like your application and like there was honestly like nowhere where they were like oh example like they didn't really wait like, so you you were able to like, see like what they said in your application yeah there was a lot of portions that were blacked out but you could see like what they thought and the most important thing for me because they said some stuff they basically said that, like i was like eh, like but like what pushed me over the line yeah really at the end of the day was what like my letters like what my recommenders and people had said about me so i think that's Mm. really like those things are really like so much more key than any score i think the scores are oftentimes just like a judgment of like is this person academically ready for the rigor of this and so like beth said like once you get in that range like i I don't think like it's it really matters too much Mm. yeah that's real i guess because obviously now with COVID, so many things have changed as far as kids aren't taking tests. I think now for class of 2020, I believe, I'm trying to remember, 2024. Oh my God, I'm feeling old because I'm class 2022. There's a thing now to where it's like, you don't have to take the SAT. We'll just take your GPA and like you can apply to the school and probably get in. I guess kind of the bigger question, I'll ask Beth this. Do you think they should abolish the SAT or ACT? Like, what do you think they should do about standardized testing? Yeah. So I think that 
honestly, it is fine to do standardized testing. I, I do think it's unfair because there is a lot of people who can get test prep and a lot of advantages that a lot of other people can't. But I think just like reducing um, the, the amount that it's like held by, like, I don't think it should be mm. that big of a part of your application. Yeah. Mm. Tammy, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. I remember, um, I remember seeing something. I don't know how like actually factual this is, but I feel like those tests are oftentimes more of an indicator of socioeconomic status rather than um, actual any sort of like intelligence level. Um, so I feel like the best case scenario is definitely like what Beth said, for them to like count like less as well as for it to just be optional. Like if you feel like this is something that's gonna bolster your application, go ahead, put it. If you feel like it's something that might detract from your application, then you shouldn't have to put it. Just the same way like you can pick and choose what type of AP scores you get for your application. You should be able to choose whether to send like your scores to them. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. I guess tying it to socioeconomic status, Beth was just with yourself being in the Bay Area and you have a lot of what we call them kind of helicopter parents being over their kids saying you got to get this SAT, this GPA, we got to get you into X school so you can go to X company and do this. When you took the test, like, or the other students that you talked to, did you feel a certain sense of the reason why test scores there is a gap? It's because of socioeconomic status or parents or tutors. Like, did you feel that growing up in the Bay Area? Oh, yeah, because I remember I would always like drive by like different places, especially like, I believe like near San Jose or like Silicon Valley, and I would see so many test prep centers and like so many SAT, like ACT prep. And like, I personally was not able to like afford getting stuff like that. So I was always like worried like, oh, because my score probably can't be as good as somebody who has had like hours and hours of prep and somebody individually like supporting them through this whole process. Like, can I still do it? And like, I think that did give me anxiety throughout the like college process, especially when it came to like testing. But I honestly think that it was like fine overall. Mm, okay. So I guess for yourself within your application, like what do you think really got, you know, Stanford if, you know, you maybe weren't as big on the testing thing. Like, what do you think was your selling point? Yeah. So I think I also got to look at my admission file. And so they said that the way that I marketed myself was like the reason mm -hmm. why I got in. And I think like taking a lot of business classes through high school really taught me how to market myself on my application. And whenever I like give advice to people, I always tell them to like make a story with their extracurriculars, make a story with the way that they portray everything on their app. And so I always made sure since I said I was going to go in as like, I ended up applying as a management science and engineering major. And mm. then my second choice was like computer science. And so I made sure all of my activities were basically CS and business related. In my app or my essay, I made sure that it was like related to that, but also about my own personal story. And so they said it like molded me into an applicant that they knew could fit into these majors. So. Mm. Okay. No, that's, that's super great. I guess on the next point of kind of when you are applying, I really want to discuss GPA. Um, because I was definitely a student in high school that did not have a great GPA. I didn't even have a great SAT score. Thankfully, more else accepted me, but I've now seen I've kind of passed up kids and got to maybe internships or fellowship programs that certain kids would dream of. And I wasn't a stellar high school student. And I guess I'm wondering for you guys, like, what are your thoughts about GPA? Like, do you think it mattered in high school? Do you talk about a lot like being at Stanford? And we can talk about certain things as far as, you know, duck syndrome or whatever. I guess, you know, what are your thoughts about GPA? And Temi, I'll kind of like let you take it first. Yeah, so I guess when I was in high school, I didn't think too much early on about GPA. It really just like felt more and more as I was going on throughout high school, like, oh, this matters more. And it felt more real with each time. Um, one word I will say about GPA is that especially being pre-med and trying to get into med school, that's something that again has become like super important and always in the back of my mind now. It's like, oh, wow, like I need to keep a good GPA. I need to keep this up. Um, I don't, I think, I, I really just feel like at least at Stanford, I, I can't speak for everyone, but around the people I, I hang out with, people who are taking like chem classes and orgo chem, like we often will talk about GPA because Oreo Chem is definitely a GPA killer. Um, and in high school, but in high school, to be honest, I don't think I talked 
too much about GPA or really like, um, yeah, I don't think it was too much like over. Did you feel like in high school, like, were you an, I won't say a a naturally good student, but did you just kind of get to the books and get it done? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say, yeah, definitely. I, I went to like, um, when I, when I was in high school, I went to, I went to a PWI high school actually. And it was like a boarding school and, Mm. at least for the first few years i didn't really have that many friends so really i didn't have any more like much choice else but to just like stick my head in my books as well as african parents calling me pretty often to remind me to stick my head in my books so um that's really yeah that's really why i spend most of my time doing uh yeah what was it i'm just curious like what was it like being like a black student at like a pwi boarding school yeah no it was different it was different for sure my school my high school had like 240 250 students and i think probably eight of us were black um so it was a very different experience one that i was very much so not used to coming from nigeria where pretty much everyone was black yeah um i think it it, the work the not the worst part but the hardest part for me was i felt like i lost a lot of myself in that school and that environment um, which thankfully I've been able to get back by being home. I think COVID was actually really good for that. But I think it was a different experience. Uh, it taught me a lot about the way like other people think. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I can say. I guess, what did it teach you about the way people think or just being in a school of majority white people? You know what I mean? Majority white people. Yeah, no, I, I won't. I think definitely it was, the way people think i think <laughs> you can I just say racism say and not and some people are racist yeah, straight up yeah. or like elitism or certain, certain things like that you know what i mean yeah no i would say like there was just like there were things here and there that honestly like like was it microaggressions say, like you don't thing. have to you don't I'll have to say, say it but you know what i mean yeah no no i will say one thing i think one thing that i do remember um was just about like there was one incident when I was I think maybe like a junior where this kid put up like white supremacist like stuff around the school and that was just a it was a weird like moment I think at this point in my life I didn't really come like in full understanding of my blackness I think going to a boarding school really didn't even help me like really like or even stunned that a little bit more because I didn't even realize like I was black I didn't feel different you know uh, but yeah. that was one thing like that happened during my high school that kind of like shook me into that and like made me realize like oh like this is a thing. Um, I'm not gonna sit here and act like like racist stuff was going on 24/7 at the school because that would be unfair to the school to be honest. Um, there's good people, nice people, people that took me in their homes that I would eat dinner with their families. Um, but that's not to say this stuff didn't then also happen. I literally yeah. I mean, I, I I remember, like, so many weekends where people would literally take me to their homes. I had second families there. Um, so it showed me that, like, it showed me different sides of the world. I think some people, um, some people are nice. There's definitely, like, a, a lot of, like, brotherhood, camaraderie, like, just nice people in general. At the same time, like, there's also people who do really dumb, like, in <laughs> ignorant things at the same time. Yeah, that's a fact. Not all white people are the same. I guess I'm wondering too, I guess, what were the occupations of a lot of your friends' parents? Like, what did they actually do? What were they, what kind of got them to a point to where they could send their kids to a boarding school and not be in a bunch of debt? Oh, yeah. I think the boarding school I went to was a little bit less expensive than most. Because I applied to this, the reason why I went to boarding school, to give you a little bit of context in the first place, was because my family moved from Nigeria when I was around 12. I lived in Florida for a couple of years because my mom had a research gig at UF. Um, and so she was gonna head back after that stint was done. But I had been in the US for a couple of years. I was doing well in school and she just wanted the best for me. So they sacrificed a lot to be able to make it work. Uh, a lot of like finance, talking with financial aid, trying to get basically like deals done. My mom, she hustled seriously, like my mom, I, hustle i don't know how i did there's times where i literally thought i was gonna get pulled out but then um but we made it work and i can't thank them enough series for that sacrifice um but going back to the actual question i think there was a lot of people who were really well off at that school there's a lot of people who um 
I mean, whose parents did really well, and that's why they could afford to send them to a boarding school. Um, yeah. <laughs> was it, I guess I'm just curious on the background, was it a mix of like lawyers, engineers, doctors, business people? Like what, I guess I'm curious, like what were the backgrounds of people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think there's quite a few business owners, like in terms of like what the families actually did, there's quite a few business owners. <laughs> to be honest, like I can't, I I don't know exactly what everyone was doing, but I knew like some people owned businesses. Some people were in like finance and that type of stuff. Some people like just like had like deep roots because this was also, I didn't even mention this, but this was in Nebraska. Some people had oh, deep wow. roots in Nebraska. And so like they had families, like they had, like they had been having money for a little while. Um, but yeah, but then at the same time, there was also kids from um, different places as well. We had, a decent amount of international students, uh, places like Japan. There's a kid from Italy in my class. Um, Just people from other places too, who, um, people who are are well off pretty pretty much, Mm. but there's people from different socioeconomic status, or people from different socioeconomic like levels at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's so fascinating. I guess kind of going back to Beth, you know, speaking about GPA, Mm -hmm. I guess for yourself, like, do you think it's overhyped? Do you think it's to where it should be? Because as somebody for you who is into tech business consulting, there's kind of this weird thing to where now, of course, internships like grades, but they love hearing about side projects or side businesses or things that you built from the ground up like that a lot of times can help you more than the GPA. So I guess from yourself, for somebody who is interested in those fields, what are your thoughts about the whole GPA conversation? Yeah, no, I definitely think GPA is overhyped. I would say though, like I've seen at least in tech, they're willing to usually accept like lower GPAs while in consulting, they usually do want like pretty high GPAs. So I would say- I'm not, not, not to cut you off, but like, I, I'm not going to say the name of the consulting firm, but I applied and they asked for my SAT scores and my GPAs from high school. And oh, I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do ask for a lot of scores. So I would say if anyone is trying to apply to those, definitely be conscious of what you're going to be doing in the future, because you might want to keep that GPA uh, depending on what you want to do. But I definitely don't think it's as important anymore. I definitely think side projects and your experiences are way more important than your GPA could be because depending on what type of high school you go to, your GPA could be completely different. So I personally don't think it's as important anymore. Yeah, no, I, I feel it. I For me, the next thing I really want to talk about is I guess now, because you guys are only sophomores and that means is your guys is basically second semester freshman year y'all had to go home like you guys lost out on all kind of the fun stuff of being on campus and keep meeting friends and just being in the classroom I guess my question is do you feel like everything has still been worth it like doing school totally online and typically of course like schools talk about oh we have this program and this and that but the reality is most schools are for the network if we're being honest like the people that you meet and the connections that you have it opens doors so I guess for yourself first, Beth, like, do you feel like things are still worth it? Like, how has it been doing school remotely at Stanford? Yeah, so it's definitely different. I definitely miss being back on campus and getting to hang out with people all the time, getting to go in classes and just getting to work with people in person instead of over like Zoom or Zoom calls, yeah. Yeah, so that is definitely something I miss, but I still would say it's worth it. And I think one thing that motivates a lot of people at Stanford to like stay going is the checks that we get. So Stanford does like pay us to stay at home depending on what you're, I think it's based on like socioeconomic levels and also mm. like if you stay at home, they'll pay you for housing and like food and rent and stuff like that. So because of that, I definitely think, yeah, it's- Or housing is none of that, but that's the one of the story. Yeah, so I think that was like a big determinant in me, like not taking a gap year and like, yeah. So I would would say that. Mm. Okay, tell me, I guess, what about for yourself? You know, what are your thoughts on COVID and doing score remotely? Yeah, no, I think she's she's already said it perfectly. I think it was definitely a hard transition at first. Uh, It was 
a lot to deal with. It was kind of just like destabilizing. I think at first, like my mentality was like, oh, this is a couple week thing. I'm going to be back, back in school. And it's almost been a year, which is honestly crazy to even think about. Uh, but I think the refund checks definitely do help uh, a lot and are definitely a big motivator for me to just like keep going and like stay. Um, I think, yeah, I think honestly said perfectly. It's definitely been a hard, hard transition, but if you just got to keep moving in the day. Damn, nah, I, I guess I, I just want to ask because too, I don't know if you guys know the YouTuber RP Park. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was watching the other day with my parents and he did like this day in life at Stanford and then like the whole COVID thing and I was dying. So like, I had to ask y'all like, what is the actual experience like doing school remotely? But, and, you know, I guess for myself, like what for you guys, Beth, you can take it first. Like, what is your experience like being a black student at Stanford, being somebody who's of course like a black woman at that, like what's your experience been like? Yeah, so when we were in person, I can definitely say I thought of my Stanford experience as being like in an HBCU. I was basically always surrounded by black people. I lived in Ujima House, which was the black ethnic theme, like dorm. So I was constantly surrounded by black students. I would go to most of the black events, like, and for my friend group outside of like the people in my dorms, they were mainly people of color. And so I honestly like just had a really great experience getting to learn a lot of different cultures, getting to learn more about the black experience at a PWI. But I definitely could say I had a really great time. So no complaints. Mm, I got you. I I guess like being or going through that because you're only there for like not even a full year. Was there was there a divide? Did you deal, did you ever deal with microaggressions? Like, what was it like? I guess if you're kind of in your hub of being with other black students, was did you ever get microaggressions from like other students or no? Um, personally, for me, I didn't really get any microaggressions. But then again, like I also just did not surround myself with people really that much who would be likely to give like microaggressions mm-hmm. or anything like that, just because I would mainly hang out with like other black students and if they weren't black they would basically be like latinx or asian yeah so i thankfully can say like i didn't really experience that much but definitely there has been a lot of like there has been a couple racist incidents but Mm. i i've been pretty like sheltered from that in the community that i've been in got you okay i guess tell me like what is your experience like just being black at stanford like what's it been like yeah, mine's definitely a little bit different because I lived in a frost storm, uh, all frost storms, which is very, a very white space. It definitely mm-hmm. has more of a PWI feel. Um, and it was it was definitely different. I will say I, the people on my floor, I made very good friends with them. Uh, we're still close. We still talk. Um, and so I really I appreciate the bonds that I made with them. Um, but it was different. I think in terms of like social scene and everything, personally, me, like, uh, a lot of times it was just from uh, dorm class back to dorm. So I wasn't really doing too much or like interacting with people too much. But on the topic of microaggression, I will say like there was times where um, the biggest one, the most common one, because I'm 6'5". And so oh, you you're see, six people, five. See, Damn. Yeah, people will see a 6'5 <laughs> black guy walking around Stanford campus. And the first thing they ask him is what sport do you play? Um, and that oh, happened. Oh my God, yeah. Students, like students all the time. Um, I would go to the bookstore to go buy something and then the people at the checkout would be like, oh, what sport do you play? I was like, bro, <laughs> I, went to, I went off campus to a CVS wearing a Stanford shirt and people asked me what sport do I play? Um, so that was definitely the biggest, the biggest one. Um, and there's just like times where I felt like a little bit uncomfortable and it might just have been me. I didn't know if it was like me just like projecting whatever, but like there was times where I just felt insecure about myself and my mm-hmm. intelligence, because I felt like people oftentimes talk down to me uh, at times. Um, so there was just like little stuff here and there. Uh, to be honest, I think, uh, yeah, it wasn't something I was like unused to. Like, it's, I think that's just the reality of being black in a, in a, in a white dominant world. Um, but yeah, I think there, there was times, there was, there was times and little things like that. Damn. Now I can only imagine, I guess, like kind of walking through campus and people like acting like, oh, he probably knows I.R. Williams and they hoop. Like, it's like, nah, like I'm actually just here to play basketball. You know what I mean? Uh, not play basketball, but just actually get my, my academics. Um, I guess I'm wondering too, like the professors, like 
Do you ever deal with microaggressions? How are they? Like, I guess, cause you're dealing with an, professors are typically, it's an older crowd. It's people who didn't grow up the, the way we did. Cause you know, Gen Zers, it's kind of like the, the generation of activism and equity and equality, but like older people, it's like a little bit removed. Like, have you ever dealt with like microaggressions or is this different things? Um, I guess for me, I, most of the teachers that I would interact with were actually on the younger side. So I would say they were in like their thirties, forties, like mid forties, maybe. And so most of them were pretty chill. And a lot of the classes I took, um, when I was on campus were like activism related classes. And I did take some core classes, but you don't really interact with professors because they are like huge lecture halls of like 200, 300 people. So with the teachers that I did get to interact with, they were all really chill, really sweet. Mm, Sammy, what about you? Yeah, no, I'll definitely say the same. I think oftentimes, like most of the classes I had were big, like lecture, like big lecture classes. So you didn't really get that much interaction with professors. And so the people I would interact with more often were like TAs, graduate students. So like they wouldn't like, I think, Definitely, I didn't ever really feel uncomfortable like with them. They really have any, I can't really speak like negatively on any experience I had with like professors or anything. Gotcha, okay. So I guess kind of, you know, we talk about a lot of the pros of Stanford, obviously the network, the opportunities to what you want to do. But I'm wondering, is there any cons? Because a lot of times what I've noticed is when you're in high school, like your dream college or your dream place, you just think of all the good things that are going to come. Like you don't really actually think about like what actually is going to suck. And kids right now, I see, I look at comments online. It's like, oh, if I get to go to Stanford, Harvard, Howard, like any of these schools, my life is going to change and things are going to be butterflies. But that's not the truth. So I guess, Beth, I'll let you take it first. Like, what are some of the cons you've noticed while being at Stanford? Yeah, I guess like one main one that I would definitely say is like duck syndrome and just feeling like, oh, look at everybody's creating a company. They just made a nonprofit yesterday. Look at this. Look at that. And then you're like, oh, I'm just doing homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you constantly a lot of the times you constantly like compare yourselves. But I think for me, just surrounding myself with a friend group that also relates to how I feel. And we're just very good at like talking about what we feel. We work together really well. We start like programs together. So I don't personally worry about that anymore. Definitely like entering into Stanford. I know a lot of my classes in the beginning, like the smaller classes, people would come in and like talk about all of the great stuff they did. And I would be like, oh, <laughs> really interesting. But I don't know, I think it's really cool. And I think you just have to eventually like learn not to compare yourself. Everybody is on their own path and it's just not worth it to stress yourself over something that doesn't even concern you. So, yeah. Yeah, tell me, well, I guess, what about you? Do you have any cons of like attending Stanford? Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is just like the comparison game. And a lot of times just feeling like a small fish in a really, really big pond. Um, I think it's so easy to just like lose yourself in that and to just like think that like, or to just like exactly to just constantly be comparing yourself with other people and diminish your own like accomplishments because of other people's when at the end of the day, like Beth said, it's like, there's not like, mm -hmm. it's none of that concerns you. And that's definitely the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I don't think beyond that, I don't, honestly don't think that there is too much else like, I can think of right on the spot that was like the biggest negatives about being in Stanford. The, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm fascinated by both of the answers because it ties it back to a story I had to where, um, I believe summer 2019, like I was really down about myself, about what I was doing, kind of where I was at. And looking back at it, it was dumb because it was my freshman summer. But um, what I did one day is I actually went out to the Bay to see my boy Austin, who was interning at Google. And I went to talk to my boy Ryan, he goes to Stanford. And I think I like pulled up and like, I saw a couple Ferraris and I'm just like, yo, like what do these people do? <laughs> and then me and Ryan, we kind of walk around the campus and talk about life. And mind you, like Ryan is my guy. Like he's somebody that like, I kind of look up to, even though they were the same age and he has like a really good heart. And then I heard him speak about his experience and he was like, yeah, like the biggest thing is the comparison game. Like I can't compare myself to people. And I'm just like, I sometimes can't understand like, why do you think that way? If like, if you're in your own city in your own hub, like you're looked as kind of like how 
the neighborhood hero. You know what I mean? So like, I guess like how have you tried to break that? And I guess Beth, you can kind of take it away. Like break out of the comparison game? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing that I try to do and I've, I think I've always done this and I just like, whenever I'm like not feeling right about something or if something's hard, I just tell people like, I'll, mm. I'll be the first one to tell you like, I'm suffering in this class or I am like not doing so well right now. Or like, guys, I'm kind of worried about this, that like, I don't know, I'm very transparent about how I feel and stuff like that. And that usually makes people feel better because they usually won't like talk about stuff like this they don't want to admit that like oh like things are stressful or like oh because everybody wants to be perfect basically yeah. which makes sense like coming into a school like Stanford or like basically like any type of school you're used to like working really hard to get to a common goal and like to be the best and then you're probably not the best once you get to Stanford and that is hard for a lot of people to deal with but yeah, I think for me, just being like confident in myself, knowing what I want out of life and just working towards that goal and surrounding me with people who support that goal has like made it completely fine for me. <laughs> Temi, do you, what are your thoughts on like how, how, I guess, how not to compare yourself to people? Because obviously like mm-hmm. in the healthcare sector, like I bet you're probably dealing with kids who are like, oh, I did this research program. I did that research program. I'm part of this club. I'm part of this nonprofit. Like how do you break that comparison game? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the best way and what has worked best for me is by turning that comparison around and rather than putting yourself down for what someone did well, like be happy for them, you know, show like be proud of the things that other people uh, have been able to accomplish. Maybe even use that as motivation for yourself. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's about having your eyes on like the goal that you want, like set like the things that you want to accomplish for yourself and basically like staying in your own lane. You know, it's your race that you're running with yourself, not with anyone else. Cheer the people on who are doing amazing things, who support one another and be a support system for each other. But also remember that this is your own race to run and just like keep going forward. I think that's kind of like what I tell myself and what has been really helpful to me to stop like comparing myself. Yeah, no, I love that. I guess my last question for just about Stanford is, what is the biggest misconception that people have about Stanford? Like, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have by your institution? Mm-hmm. I'll let Tammy go. I'll let, how about this? I'll let go. Actually, I'll let Beth go first. It seems like she's thinking about something. Oh, I was just going to say, kind of like based off what I said a little bit earlier, that everybody's perfect <laughs> at Stanford sure. and that like whole idea that you were a perfect like high school student right now you're like doing prospering in all of your classes nobody's struggling everything's great but i think based on like my experiences and just like talking with a lot of people everyone's struggling everybody's like going through their own battles but i think the one thing that we all have is just like we all have a common goal we all have something that we want to do and we're willing to work super hard for it and so i I just think like thinking that everybody's perfect at an institution is definitely not Yeah, that's total, that's total bullshit. Um, yeah. Semi, like, I guess, do you have like one biggest misconception that you think people should like know? Yeah, I think definitely the fact that uh, definitely nobody is perfect at Stanford. And I think also that, um, I think, I don't know exactly if people do think this about Stanford, but I know it's like a big, like, preconceived notion just about like a lot of like elite schools about like cutthroat like the nature of like cutthroat schools like people basically like beefing each other and like I don't know like there's always been thing of like people tearing out textbook pages so like or or books from the library or whatever so you like you get bad grades and that type of stuff but honestly like in my experience people are honestly really nice uh people are looking to help and people are looking to to help one another and to help each other succeed and that's one thing that's been pretty constant throughout my time I think one of my biggest problems is reaching out for help because I feel like people Mm -hmm. won't but every single time that I reach out to someone for help that I look to other people to support me like I've gotten like um like that help back in abundance like for sure yeah no I love that always just having the mentality to where like I don't know everything and that's fine and I can reach out to somebody Beth for yourself I want to kind of shift over more to the tech scene because if you being a black woman being with the consulting, 
dealing with kind of the whole scene as far as what's going on in the Bay. I'm wondering, have you ever felt tokenized being a Black woman in tech? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I could definitely say yes to that. Um, I think definitely doing a lot of programs in high school kind of made me realize like, oh, like I never had realized just how little like Black women or just Black people in general were in the tech industry until I started doing programs um, I probably shouldn't name them, but I did a couple programs in like <laughs> high school and like right before college and stuff like that. And they were amazing experiences, but then I would just see, I remember one of the programs I was at, um, there were about like 30 girls, 40 girls, and I was the only black person. Oh, I remember me and my sister did the program and because they had like 80 people in total, they put my sister in a separate room and me in a different room so that there was like one black person in each room. <laughs> so I just thought that was really funny. But yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of a lack of diversity. And I hope, I think it's starting to change though, slightly. So I'm hoping it'll still go. Yeah. Better. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that's changing. I'm not totally in the groove that like black people have to be killed for finally people to like, oh my goodness, like diversity in corporate America is bad. Like, come on, bro. It's it's been bad for a minute. But I don't know. I guess like was that ever a struggle with you? Because if you're in that space, like, does that create imposter syndrome? Does that create like, should I am I actually right to be here? What is my space? How should I speak out? Like, did you ever have those thoughts? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely thought, like, did I just get into this because I was Black? Was that the only reason they admitted me and stuff like that? But, like, I know my abilities and I, like, realized, like, very soon after, like, I am just as strong of an applicant and, like, participant as anybody else in this room. And so just because I'm Black does not mean anything. And honestly, I don't really mind anymore. Like, I am completely fine being the only Black person in a room. Obviously, I wish... There was more black people in the field but i think it's just something that is kind of just you have to accept as part mm. of the job. yeah okay no I, I love that my my thing that i really want to talk about now is more about really the wage gap or just what's going on in the bay area i was actually on um i, th- I don't know if you guys know this application it's called blind and it's basically like a non it's a place for anonymous professionals to where they can like talk about their lives um, salaries, jobs, interviews, all that. And there was one that it said, is millionaire like the new middle class in the Bay Area? And I was like, oh my Hi. God, <laughs> like that's so, that's so real. And um, I basically, I think I wrote something down for I was saying like, if Stanford and Silicon Valley and Berkeley has all these smart people who are about making the world a better place, why is there such like a class and wage gap going on in the Bay? You know, Beth, I'll let you take that first because you grew up there. But why is this? It's, I think Silicon Valley was really what like started a lot of these like issues. But I I remember like a specific time in like elementary school, probably like fifth grade. And my teacher was talking to our class about like just being from like Cali and like after you guys go to college, she basically said like, we're not gonna be able to come back because like once you leave, like you're not gonna be able to afford buying a home in Cali, like you basically just have to go somebody somewhere else. And so I don't know, I think I kind of like realized like I need to work really hard or just find some like really well-paying job to end up here. Cause there's just no way with this rent. I remember people were living in closets in SF or like 1500, something like that. Yeah. Mm -mm. That's crazy. It definitely, when I hear those things is cause you know, like it's the lore of like when kids like, oh, I can get this six figure salary. But when you look at like the cost of living and if you want a car and like all these different things, like it's good salary, but it's not as much as you think it is. Um, tell me like, what is your thoughts? Because at least like, here's how I feel. I feel like the tech scene is definitely people do want to make the world a better place, but they also want to get their bucks as well for themselves and their families. What are your thoughts on the healthcare system and kind of like what's going on in the Bay Area? Because people say they want to, you know, cure this, cure that. But like, what are your thoughts on, I guess, how that's kind of tied it to to the Bay Area and kind of like the wage and the class gap? Mm. So honestly, could you, could you repeat the question? Yeah, I guess like being kind of being in like the healthcare sector, like what things have you thought of 
within the Bay area of why there is like a wage gap or a class gap, or do you think it ties to what you guys are doing or what are your thoughts? Have you had conversations with people about this type of thing in the Bay area? Mm. To be honest, I honestly don't know if I'm the best person to speak about this. I'm not too knowledgeable about what even the Bay area is like. Um, it was a very new place for me. Um, but yeah, honestly, I don't think I can really give you an answer on that. I don't know too much about it. Got you. Okay. I guess to give you like some perspective and maybe Beth will kind of get this. Cause actually, cause what, what was the high school that you went to? Arroyo. Okay. So you went to Arroyo and my mm-hmm. dad is now the superintendent of the whole district. And yes. I used to live in Riverbank Modesto, which is about an hour and 30 minutes away from the Bay. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Tracy, California, which is right outside the Bay. And one of the things that I looked at as far as looking at houses, if you're looking at like a $500,000, $600,000 house in Tracy, in the Bay Area, that's going to be twice that. Like I was looking at houses in Livermore and like Pleasanton, it would be like mm-hmm. 1.2, 1.5 million, 2 million. And I was like, wait, what? So I guess that's what I kind of meant by like the class and kind of wage gap in the Bay Area. Um, I guess next, I'm kind of, these are kind of some of my last questions, kind of your thoughts. Tell me, what are your thoughts? Like, what tips would you give when kids are like applying to college? That's a good question. I think number one, when you're writing your essays, workshop them with a bunch of people. Like, don't be afraid to get criticism from your essays. Don't be afraid to like give them to teachers, friends, like whoever, because the more people that like the first essay I wrote, for my personal statement or whatever and the last essay were two comp- on two different topics or two on different planes because I was just constantly giving them to people to help me make it better so that's definitely one thing I would say um start early <laughs> start early I think being at Thrive well Noonan now Thrive Scholars um just having that little bit of like an early start where I was focusing on doing it, writing some of the essays this summer before rather than during my senior year where I had, so I had to do classes and stuff helped me so much. Like I can't even like explain because like I saw a lot of my friends who started their college application process in during their, the fall of their senior year. And it, they, it was just so much stress and so draining on them. So I definitely say <laughs> workshop essays and, try to start as early as you can yeah Beth what are your thoughts on that on that question as far as tips you would give for kids that are applying to any college yeah no I would completely agree with everything that Timmy said like do it early I was (laughs) again I did not start early and that made sure that I spent weeks just like working on it during my senior year when I probably could have been having more fun like hanging out with my friends but I was just like grinding all day writing essays Mm -hmm. doing other stuff because I didn't start like super early so I would say do it like early and also have like a lot of people read over your stuff and I would say one big thing to me is like I watched a lot of YouTube videos on how people got in and I felt like that definitely helped me out in like crafting a story with my application but I would say like have a unified story with like your application and like do things that you actually care about because then you'll have something to write about that like, yeah. shows the person that you are. I guess I'm wondering, cause you know, you watch so many YouTube videos and kind of seeing people grind their way to get into certain schools. I'm wondering yourself, you know, typically when people talk about work-life balance it's for people that are in college that are actually, or after they get into the real world, but that's kind of actually becomes a thing in high school. Like, did you ever have times to where you had stuff to do and you told your friends like, yo, I actually can't go to this party. I can't go to that. Like, did you feel like you had a good work-life balance in high school? Yeah. Well, I had African parents and they would not let me go to parties. <laughs> but yeah, okay. when I could like escape and like go to different things, I just like hang out with my friends. Like I honestly, I had a lot of time to hang out because I would always make sure to do my work really early. And sometimes I would do sports. So that would just be like a chunk of my day. And, but I felt like I always like had pretty good time to do everything. Cause thankfully, like I was able to like figure out a lot of stuff in high school and like start early. I would say the work-life balance is more of a struggle in college for me with a lot of classes and then trying to do like sometimes internships at the same time and then doing like blueprint like during the summer while I was working and then like doing other stuff on the side so that is kind of a struggle for me but in high school honestly it was like completely fine 
Yeah, no, I got you. So here are kind of my last three questions. They're more quick hitters, but just ones I'm kind of always interested in. First one, Temi, I'll ask you, if everything paid the same, what would you do for your career? Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's an amazing question. Thanks for asking that. I think one thing I like to do as a hobby is I do write poetry um, by myself and just listen to music, write poetry. If I could do that, for the rest of my life and not have to worry about anything and get paid for that, I would 100,000% do that for the rest of my life. It's just a very peaceful, calming thing for me. So I just want to say that. Gosh, that's so dope. Beth, what about you? Oh, I would probably want to be a life coach or a therapist. I feel like I love just like anything psychology and just like working with people and helping them get through their problems. And so I would probably do something like that. Gosh, okay, that's so cool. Next one, I'll go back to Temi. If you could talk to one person alive right now, who would it be? Oh, that's such a good question. Good question. One person alive right now. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to give a cop out answer, and I want to really give this like some thought. Oh. Do you want to let Beth go first? Yeah, Beth, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I can. I, I can take it. You can have multiple if you want. It's totally fine. You don't have to have one. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you have like a big four or big five. Is this, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a little bit of a cop-out answer. But one person I would definitely want to meet is um, a lot of my the people I look up to and have looked up to since I was a little kid were actually like music artists. I looked uh-huh. up to Stormzy and his music helped me through like a lot of times in my life. Uh, he's like a UK grime artist. And if I could have a conversation with him, um, I think that would be really cool. That would, that would be really interesting. And just to learn more, I've always been pretty interested in just like British culture and just like what life is like in there. Cause I have a few people, I know, like I have some family that lives over there. So I would be interested to see about like the black experience and like life um, living there. Talk to him about that. Um, yeah, I don't know if Beth wants to go, but I can try and think of some more. But- I- I can like I I would probably say like music artists or like I guess like Gordon Ramsay or just like any <laughs> type of like random person that I just can't picture like actually meeting in real life. So mm. any musical artist like in particular like you would like yeah I would love to meet them. I would love to meet SZA. Yes, mm. I would, I would really love to meet her. Yeah, her vibe. I think one. Oh, oh you're no, Tammy can go. <laughs> I think one person that just, just came to mind actually was Angela Davis. Ooh. That is someone who I would love to meet and love to have a conversation with. I was recently watching, I think it was like a 1973, like black leaders thought discussion with her in it. And she, uh, she she's an amazing mind. And so if I could have a conversation with her, that would be, that would be dope too. Okay. I, I, no, I just love both your guys' answers. I've, I've, done, I've done that question a few times. I haven't got like in-depth answers like that for a minute. So that was a good one. My last question is, who would be a good guest in this podcast? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> How about, what was his name? There was somebody on Blueprint. He creates a lot of like videos. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know. Some people from Blueprint already have been on. Wait, what's his name? Is it Alberto? I don't want to like. I think I know what you're talking about. I don't. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't like talked to him, but I know like I have a face. I know to our builder's name. He's really great at like talking about. He's done a lot with like video production and stuff like that. I feel like he'd be really cool to have on here. Uh, yeah. Okay, Tammy, do you have anyone you think would be a good guest on this podcast? Yeah, I mean, the first person that comes to mind. I honestly don't know how available he would be, but I have a friend uh Bolu who we grew up together in Nigeria he's a little bit older than me um he lives in the UK and he used to work at Twitter I feel like he would have like a lot of cool things to say um my older brother as well he went to FSU and he works at UI right now I feel like he would have some like interesting things interesting things to say uh those are the first two people that come to mind no I mean that those are great Great recommendations. And two, I'm like really interested on the part of like working at Twitter because obviously right now everything that's going on in America and just like what these platforms actually do, um, that would just be interesting, interesting conversation. But 
honestly, like, thank you guys so much for having me or not having me, but just being on this podcast because like, I'm going to be honest. So I knew I was like, Beth will probably answer. Hopefully if she like responds to her messages, which sometimes she sucks. But so I did. <laughs> and I hit up Temi and I was like, I think I hit him on LinkedIn and he didn't respond. I was like, uh, he's probably one of those like people on social media or LinkedIn. They're like, oh, I have too many people reaching out to me. Um, call me in five weeks. I'm just like, all right, cool. Like you're Elon Musk. I get it. You know? So just thank you so much for like you guys coming on this podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having us. <laughs> no, yeah, seriously. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. All right, guys. That was another episode with your host, Kendall Camp of Privileged Black Kids. If you like that episode of Privileged Black Kids, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Follow us on Instagram at Privileged Black Kids Podcast. Follow our amazing guests on Instagram and LinkedIn. I will have the links to their pages in the description so you can check that out. Thank you guys so much for all the love and support. And thank you for listening to that episode of Privileged Black Kids.